Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, Curtis Wister, the Cape Netic Nubble Light to my Cadillac Mountain. How are you, how are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. We um, Abby could not join us today. She had a conflicting appointment, but wanted to, uh, of course, we, we were really excited about our guest today. We wanted to get into it, so we didn't want to delay our recording, <laughs> but we wanted to really talk about a topic that we are seeing more and more in today. And to give the, a little bit of the background, in the United States, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer uh, LGBTQ plus community is large. In fact, this group makes up approximately 4.5% of the country's total population. An estimated 2.7 million adults in the U.S. are both LGBTQ plus and over 50, with 1.1 million of them over 65. So despite their size and prevalence, the LGBTQ plus community still experiences myriads of hurdles and challenges, especially when it comes to healthcare. Roughly 56% of lesbian, gay, and bisexual individuals and 70% of transgender individuals have encountered anti-LGBTQ plus discrimination when attempting to access healthcare. Further, the LGBTQ plus community faces unique challenges through the aging process. So that's something where in terms of our client base, where we work with this community and we have these client relationships, you know, they look to us, right? Is our yeah. job here is to look forward in the aging process, match money to what's happening in their lives and what they're going to need to be aware of. So for us, we want to make sure we're continually educating ourselves, but in the same time, maybe this is a great opportunity to educate you as well, uh, listening to the podcast. Yeah. So the question really here is, so what are those challenges that the LGBTQ plus community faces and what resources are available to help overcome them, especially in the state of Maine? So that's the premise of today's show. So our guest is actually no stranger of, of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. He was here on episode 19. He's the Associate Vice President of Community and Pediatric Services at Northern Light Acadia Hospital in Bangor, Maine. He has over 20 years of experience providing mental health services to youth and families across a variety of settings. He also is an adjunct faculty member at both UMaine and Orono and Hudson University in Bangor and is the clinical consultant for the Bangor YMCA. He serves on the Maine Board of Social Work Licensing and is a member of the Na National Association of Social Workers and the Society of Social Work Leadership and Healthcare. Locally, he was recognized in 2019 for his advocacy work with the LGBTQ plus youth and was named Healthcare Social Worker of the Year in 2019 by the Maine Hospital Association and the Maine chapter of the SSWLHC. Nationally, he was the SSWLHC's 2019 recipient of the Eleanor Clark Award for Innovative Programs and Patient Care for his work on youth suicide prevention. And the spring of 2020 was named the University of Maine School of Social Works Alumni of the Year. So I'd like you all to join me at this point <laughs> after reading that really robust bio. I'd like to welcome back Christopher McLaughlin to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Chris, appreciate you coming back on. Thanks, Ben. Good to see you. Hi, Curtis. Nice to see you Hello. as well. 
Well, thank you and really, again, loved our conversation originally where we were talking about creating a better connection with our grandkids in retirement, right? We kind of took this role of grandparents and how, do we, how are we disconnected maybe from the two generations away? And we had a really great conversation in 19. And we just know, Chris, from your background, your expertise, we said, you know, this is an area we'd love to explore more. And we think with your role and your unique positioning at Acadia Hospital, that that would be a really great thing to have you come on. So I really appreciate your time today and in, in working with us here. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. And I want to assure you and your listeners that even though the bulk of my experiences on the other end of the spectrum with kids and families. I have done my homework and am feeling really good about information to share with you and your listeners today. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And and Chris, I know uh, obviously for some people, they pop into our show and they pop out. And for those that didn't maybe get a chance to listen to episode 19, I'll push that plug right now. Go ahead and uh, <laughs> check that out and, and listen to our original conversation with Chris. But for those that really want to dig into our show today, I'd love to just have you go of us a, a bit more of your of your personal bio background and including your path towards social work. Can you just give us that uh, that there? Yeah, sure. So I uh, knew early on in my college career, I wanted to do something in the behavioral health and the mental health world and wasn't quite sure what that looked like and was fortunate enough to have had some really awesome mentors um, at Northern Light Acadia Hospital. Back in the day, I started working there when I was 19 and in and, and undergrad and was exposed to the field of social work in that setting and fell in love with it. I And fell in love with how general and how broad the scope of social work is and um, have spent the last 20 years exploring the broadness of that scope and have spent time in, in different settings, residential treatment facilities, treatment foster care, um, of course, hospital-based work. I've spent some time in the community with case management and in-home programs and had a private practice on the side for about a decade. And in that private practice, really specialized with working with LGBTQ youth and their families and their mm -hmm. caregivers and 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 built a fairly robust practice here in the greater Bangor area, specializing in that population of kids. That's, that's excellent. And I think that's where... Uh, again, I, I know I know you got recently recognized a couple years back for that advocacy work and, and the work that you did there. Can you can you talk to me about obviously where you had that private practice and you're working with LGBTQ plus youth? Why are you passionate about kind of that as as a topic as where you were? Because as, as you said, you have it's very broad. Social work can kind of be really a lot of everything. Yeah. Uh, but why why was that kind of the the piece that you're seeing uh, a big call for and a demand for? Yeah. Well, I mean, I having been an LGBTQ plus youth myself back in the day and, and having lived experienced in that world of confusion and isolation and oppression and, and discrimination, frankly, really wanting to use that experience and put those powers to good use and 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 pay it forward a bit and and you know our our work through Northern Light Acadia Hospital and and throughout my career has always been to help kids see that it gets better and help families see that it does get better and there is so much on the other end of those challenges and some of those really dark places. And that's the work that I'm so proud to say that Acadia and my colleagues all over the state in different um, organizations are doing each and every day. Um, 
with with individuals of all ages. I mean, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about, a lot of the challenges that our seniors are facing are some of the same challenges folks our age are facing and youth are facing. So there's really um, such a wide spectrum to this t- conversation and to the topics that we're going to cover that is universal to so many that are a part of this community. Well, and I think what's what's really pretty neat, and uh, Curtis and I reflect on this a lot on our show, is the threads that we see across each of these episodes is mm-hmm. that it really creates a pretty neat tapestry of what's happening because while there there might be unique things that you, you see that maybe are more prevalent in one population or one area of interest, is you pull that and you go, well, geez, everybody's kind of working with, through this in lots of different degrees. So we've kind of seen this a lot as... Yeah. Which, you know, also we reference this in our questions a lot is like, hey, this person brought this up and it feels like this is really relevant here. So, again, we're really excited to kind of dig into all that today because I think I think that's going to be, I think, very informative and and educational for us, especially, but also uh, in our work with our clients, but also for for people listening in. So I want to just kick it right off. Right. Is let's let's kind of dig in here. So. I think that the, always the first part to to work with here is just getting our foundation and let's define some terms because I, I think we're, and I think this is where uh, all of us um, are, we want to make sure we're speaking in the same language. We want to make sure we're, we're speaking in the same way. So defining things is always a really important piece. And especially where, you know, maybe there's a, a sort of our population that have really little to no experience um, working with somebody that's a LGBTQ plus or as a friend or a family member, maybe that's a, that's a case. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to start about when we talk about LGBTQ plus, who are we talking about? Yeah. So, you know, it's an alphabet soup. It's been an alphabet soup and it's going to continue to be a growing alphabet soup. And there was some really interesting data that came out of 2020 that shared that today's youth identify with over 100 different terms to describe their gender identity or their sexual orientation. And so we'll never get to a comprehensive place where we fully understand and the internet is our friend and we I find myself all the time jumping on on the web and typing in a new term that a client or a patient or their family is is shared with me. Mm-hmm. But I think to your point, it's important to make sure that we have a just a solid, as solid as possible foundation and understand that while this language is always evolving and is changing, when in doubt, ask your client about their term and how they define that term. The way that I think of some of these, some of these words may be very different than generations ahead of me or generations behind me. I think though there's probably a couple terms that for the sake of listeners would be helpful to just talk about today. Please, sure. And so I think some of the, you know, there's pretty good understanding of the L, the G, and even the B, the lesbian, gay, bisexual part of this of this alphabet. But the transgender piece is one that I know comes up often and and can cause some confusion. So simply put, transgender is an umbrella term that we use to describe people whose gender identity, how they perceive their gender on the inside, doesn't match the sex that they were assigned at birth. So as as kiddo is born and doctor holds kiddo up in the air and says, congratulations, mom and dad, it's a blank. As that child goes later in life, that blank that's written on their birth certificate 
is no longer matching how they feel their gender identity on the inside is. And so this umbrella term, this transgender term, can have all kinds of other terms tucked up underneath it, non-binary, gender diverse, gender queer, many, many more. And it's, I think, important for us to recognize that trans being an umbrella term doesn't apply the same way to different folks underneath that umbrella. So what one individual may want or their vision of their true self or what their hopes for in terms of transitioning later in life doesn't necessarily apply to all those other all those other individuals. And we'll talk more about that. Can I ask a real quick question yeah, too? Because so because obviously if you know you kind of mentioned about your growing up experience and you know experiencing discrimination is you also hear that some of these terms being used in a really derogatory sense right and i i think that's where you know in just speaking myself personally is you see like q for queer right as you go that seems like a term to me that if i was to use that would be uh, I, I wouldn't want to be using it in a derogatory sense so you start leading you start getting scared of terms because I don't want to be doing it in a negative connotation and to put it in a way that maybe is used improperly, but also could be viewed as being a derogatory term towards somebody. So I think there's, for me, uh, again, I'll just speak of my own kind of uh, vantage point here with some of these terms is there's a, there's a fear of using it incorrectly. So I like what you just said about, Hey, asking how you'd like to be referenced, but two is using it in just my background and how I've heard some of these terms is they're usually, they're usually, they're sometimes used in a negative connotation, which is maybe my background to it. And I don't want to perpetuate that too. Yeah. And, and so Q, the Q in this whole equation, which can be questioning or can be queer, Gotcha. Uh, which is oftentimes why you see that plus, is it just that plus in the LGBTQ plus just is shorthand for and on and on and on and on. It's really just the broadness of the scope of what we're talking about. Sure. But but the term queer is a great example, Ben, of what you're talking about. And in my childhood, that was a slur. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. um, and I've, I continue at 46 years old, I continue to do my work around accepting and saying that word. I've practiced saying that word out loud a lot. It's a great example of a term that a marginalized group of people have just have collectively decided to take ownership back and feel empowered to own that word and claim that word as their own. Mm. Um, But when we're talking about older generations, when we're talking about LGBTQ plus seniors or elders, it's important to know that that term for so, so many adults and, and, and seniors is just dripping with shame and pain. And so it's important to just be aware. And I've seen clinicians with a lot of years of experience come into clinical sessions and trying to be the hip, cool, woke counselor and they're dropping terms and their client, it has just not gone over as intended Mm -hmm. because there was assumptions being made. And so just like with so many other things in our life, we want to be careful of the assumptions and check them out before we put foot in mouth. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's where being direct, right. Is, is being direct and going, Hey, I want to let you know, I'm, I want to make sure that look, you are my most important thing right now. And I want you to know that. And that, but I want you to know that I'd like to, I, I'm uncomfortable in how I'm 
maybe uh, I don't want to reference you in an inappropriate way that yeah. makes you feel that I'm diminishing you or I'm not um, not respecting anything in your life. So that that sort of piece is something where, and I know we we you just gave a really good kind of piece about how terminology has changed, and yeah. that was a really good example of that. But can can you talk about because uh, I, I think this is a key question which I know we're hinting at was what's acceptable and respectful versus not acceptable language when describing this this community and this population? Yeah, yeah, and so this is sort of the world according to Chris, right? Because yeah, what, exactly, what my yep. perception yep. is, but I, which is a great world to live in, frankly. <laughs> um, but I would just highlight, you know, there are some terms that I think are important to avoid, and I and you know, homosexual. Is is more of that clinical, um, more medical term, and 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 so I, my community no longer embraces that word uh, as if we ever did, and and that goes back years when homosexual was in a manual of mental health disorders. It was a diagnosis that could be used to describe somebody. So mm-hmm. we move away from that. We move away from terms of sexual preference or gender preference, because it implies a choice. Sure. Terms like the gay lifestyle or the gay agenda, again, implying a choice. And if there's a choice, then there must be a cure. So we want to get away from that thinking. And then I think, um, unfortunately, for our transgender, um, for transgender individuals, there's just so much slang and out of date terms, transsexual, transvestite, transgendered, and adding the ED at the end of it, transgenders, as if there's a group of them together clustered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we want to, we want to just be cautious to not use some of those, I, I would say more antiquated and therefore potential to be offensive terms. But your point, Ben, is spot on. When in doubt, ask. And I measure it to, you know, when I, when folks are meeting me for the first time, I often hear, do you prefer Chris or Christopher? And I'll tell them. And so for me, it's as really simple as your first name or an abbreviation of your name, or if you choose to use your middle name and not your first name, part of that is just engagement. It's getting to know somebody exactly, and it's respect. And yeah. so if we start these conversations from a place of respect, I don't think you can go wrong. And I, I want to point this out for those that maybe are watching this on the screen as well is obviously Chris, after your name, you obviously have the you have your your social work title there but also you have your pronouns so you have he and him so which i know is a theme right now and i know maybe it's getting a little topic for a second but it's it's not only just hey this is chris but also his pronouns are he and him right so it's which it feels like that that's something where maybe it takes that question away from being having to be asked right is the it it kind of just Mm -hmm. you start out from a place where you already know it and we can just get to work and it's and it's really maybe even trifold. It, you know, it skips the step of having to ask. Mm-hmm. It sets the tone that I know I'm I'm familiar with the concept of pronouns, so I'm comfortable with that. And it lets you know how to refer how to refer to me that I'm that again I'm okay with this approach. And mm-hmm. so when I'm meeting a client for the first time, or even for for coworkers. I will often say, hey, it's so good to meet you. Welcome to Acadia. My name's Chris and I use he, him pronouns. It's just a very simple, it becomes routine. It's awkward at first. There's no doubt about that, but it becomes routine. And to extend that, Chris, then are you saying, nice to meet you. My pronouns are he, him. Um, Can I ask what your pronouns are? Is that that how you'd be asking that question? 
100%. And in the clinical, in in a more clinical environment, that's exactly how that script will go for me. In an interpersonal, like when I'm, you know, when I'm at a, a guest at a party or, or at a restaurant meeting friends for the first time, I, I may not sure. right out of the gate, right. put them on the spot at a room at a table of other people about what's your pronouns. But in one-on-one situations, I'm definitely more, I'm more likely to do that. Okay. Because mm-hmm. again, for, for us, is just understanding the, hey, I want to be, we want to be direct. We want to get things out of the way. We want to f- feel a level of inclusion together that there's yeah. a level of understanding that's happening here. It certainly opens the door when you include them in your name tags or email signatures, or even I've now seen them on business cards and name plates on people's office doors. Mm-hmm. It, it invites the response without necessarily having to ask the question. Awesome. Chris, um, one thing we like to talk about, or we think that we, we try to do with all of our shows is help people, you know, attempt to become more of who they are in retirement. And it, and it seems like things like taking ownership of who you really are, or, you know, what matters to you in life, aligning your life with your values, you know, that's a difficult process. And what I want to ask you is if you could kind of walk us through what that really means specifically for the LGBTQ plus community, and then furthermore, you know, in terms of, of coming out. Yeah. So it, uh, it's important to recognize that coming out is a process. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a linear process. It's not one of those processes where you check the box and move on to the next one. And there's a lot of theory around um, the number of steps and what the what the names of those different steps are, but they all really get to the same place of starting with a sense of confusion. What is this all about? Mm-hmm. And then getting to a place of synthesis where it becomes, whether it's sexual orientation or gender identity, it becomes just one of a whole list of things, of roles that you play, of characteristics and things about you. It doesn't define you in every other step of your of, of your life. Mm-hmm. But I think for what's often misunderstood about the coming out process is the repetitive nature of it. That this that Q uh, LGBTQ plus individuals are coming out over and over and over again in every aspect of their life, whether they mm-hmm. move, start a new school, yeah. get a new job, or introduced to a new group of friends. And there's that level of anxiety of, all right, I want I, I, I want to be as authentic to myself as possible sure. in this setting. And so if, uh, in order to do that, I'm going to have to come out. And that's scary. And it's anxiety provoking. And it's not uncommon based on the individual or what's around that, the environment around that individual. It's not uncommon for folks to be out in some parts of their life and not in other parts and to have um, the sense of secrecy, which only adds to all of the concerns and challenges that we're talking about today. Sure. For, I think, specific to seniors, mm. because of some of these generational differences, it's not uncommon for seniors to wait yeah. for their parents or their parents' generation or family to pass on before they then come out. And some of that is maybe fear of disappointment, fear, Mm -hmm. maybe it's shame. Maybe it's fear of what the response might be, fear of rejection, fear of hostility or aggression even towards them. And for some folks that I have talked to that are in this age bracket, it's been 
really the lesser of two evils, right? It's been, I can live this secret with my family. I can be out everywhere else in my life, yeah. but with mom and dad, I'm this person or that person, or I can take the risk of alienating this relationship with my aged parents mm. as well. And there's so much pain. Yeah that comes with that. And, and so, yeah. And I, and the other piece that I will add to this is there's been so much progress with LGBTQ plus rights and celebrate that all day long. It's, it's incredible. But if you think of the age that our seniors are at LGBTQ plus seniors were navigating this world far before June 1969, when the Stonewall Stonewall riots took place. And in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, homophobia was rampant. It was a dangerous and scary time. And there's all kinds of stories I've gathered in my in my research for today of this this general sense of a heightened state of alarm, of a sense of danger surrounding these folks living their life. And so today's seniors may not fully actualize the benefits of all that progress over the last 50 or so years and still may be living very closeted, very uh, protected lives, despite the fact that we have record numbers of youth coming out in more and more in higher, higher rates. For our seniors, it may still very much feel like pre-Stonewall, the pre-Stonewall times. Sure, because because culture is really difficult to change and adapt, right? Because if somewhere in what I've read or or listened to is, I think generational change is, uh, or cultural change takes two generations to really change, right? Because it's, there's, there's echoes of that from, from previous generations. So I I can see where, man, that that's a really difficult thing of your entire life. And now, you know, and when we kind of define senior, maybe we're saying 65 and older here, but, you know, if you live through the first 65 years of doing anything, you're going to have habits and preconceived notions about what it's like, to do things and to be things. And I, I, I can only imagine the difficulty to then, it, it would feel like to me, the barrier here is almost as much yourself because of how much you've been trained to think that it's maybe not okay, or you've been told it's not okay and to continue to fight that. It just, yeah. mm-hmm. I would, again, from my perspective, that feels like that would be a really difficult thing to overcome. And imagine the dissonance, imagine the the just the stress of that dual sense of loss and relief yes. when yeah. your family is no longer around to see your coming out process and to be able to then wow. live your authentic self. And and to say, again, being your authentic self, which uh, again, as Curtis kind of said, is being more of who you are to achieve maybe your ideal happiness, right? Yeah. So uh, achieving that, which I I think as, you know, maybe as a parent and looking at that for uh, what you'd want for your own child is to say, what I really want is them to achieve that happiness that they, whatever that happiness is, I really want them to get there. So yeah, kind of a shame there of kind of going, Hey, well, that their parents didn't get to see you achieve that level of happiness and that you are dealing with this 
underlying current of strife and um, just conflict, right? I guess is the, I don't want to label it anyway, other than just, there's just this kind of battle happening yeah. uh, back and forth. The word that comes up over and over again is shame. Yeah. And when we talk yeah. about internalized homophobia, internalized transphobia, so much of that is driven by that overwhelming sense of shame that no matter what, there's still something holding me back from living my 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 best life, my true self. So I want I want to ask the follow up to that. Then is okay. So obviously you you've worked with a lot of youth in terms of helping them really actualize who they are and really helping themselves to kind of own more of who they are. Uh, but you maybe don't have the the years and decades of history of of doing that so how is it different other than kind of the decades of of the shame and and kind of that internal strife that we just discussed how is it different for those that have maybe come out later in life versus those that are are maybe more in the youth demographic yeah you know community is an important concept with this population and this the ability to have your community around you and and the idea of chosen family is an important concept with this group as well um not family that's defined by blood or by marriage but family defined by choice and so when i think about folks who are in the later later years and they may not have had the years and years and years to build their chosen family to build their sense of community mm -hmm. compared to youth who are coming out at 12, 13, 14 years old, who have the rest of their life to live their authentic self, and therefore to build their chosen family, their community around them. And so when we talk about isolation, when we yeah. talk about where and with whom you live with in later parts of your life, oftentimes LGBTQ plus seniors are going to be at a disadvantage because they haven't had the time to build that same sense of community. And you bring up, that's a, that's a really awesome point because, and I, I know we we've talked about this in lots of different shows. One that came up uh, that I think is really corollary to what we're discussing here. Uh, Sarah, Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber came on about the concept of solo aging, right? So aging without kids. And, and one of the things that really was coming up is that what you just brought about community yeah. and where as we age, we need advocates in different parts of our life to help us as we age, right? And because of that is, as you said, socialized isolation is, is something that we all work through as we age, but it's even more impactful for those solo agers is what her research was coming up with. So you just kind of made that really big point because social isolation leads to a greater risk of falling into depression, which then leads to more isolation. So obviously what, what you just described is really the social isolation can impact LGBTQ plus seniors more acutely, really because they deal with stigma, discrimination, and lack of community in their daily lives, and maybe even within the groups as they age. Yeah, so, and I, I would just add to that, Ben, though, also that this is a group of folks who may have never been married, who may never have had children that's right, because exactly. of their um, their closeted life. Mm -hmm. And right. so as they get to that certain age, that no longer becomes the traditional option for them. 
And so community becomes exponentially more important for this group as they age, because they don't have the traditional fallback, the hierarchy of my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren to fall back on. And that's where Dr. Geber was making the point of the community you got to continue to reinvest in, that you really needed, her her numbers were really the, you need like eight to 12 friends. Yeah. Um, you need it because if you have two friends and all of a sudden somebody moves away, somebody becomes debilitated as they age, all of a sudden your friends groups goes from two to zero and now you are socially isolated and yeah. you fall into. The, so you really need to invest in that group and continue to replenish the group was one of the things that she was making as a point. Mm-hmm. But so I, but I'd like to ask this kind of question specifically here around this population is what are some things that LGBTQ plus seniors can do to reduce social isolation in addition to the replenishing of their friend group? Yeah, I love the point that your previous guest was making around the investment in the community, because that is probably my number one suggestion is there's got to be an intentionality around A, understanding the importance of community, and then B, going after it and finding it. And as we talked about, many, many seniors are, are solo aging. Many LGBTQ plus seniors are living alone and they don't have children. They don't have a spouse or a traditional spouse. And so I think about everything from helping with running errands or providing a ride or checking in on me, making sure that my cupboards got food in them. If there's a quick home improvement project, who do I lean on for that? But I think to answer your question, it's really important to recognize that there is a robust LGBTQ plus senior population here in Maine. Maine ranks third in the ranking of all the states with the highest percentage of LGBTQ plus individuals over the age of 65. It's amazing. And so finding those groups, finding those resources, and we'll talk more about resources later on where you might find some of those meetups and whether they're happening virtually or in person, But as you start chipping away and removing the barriers to your participation in those activities, I think you start to find that your health, both physical as well as emotional and behavioral health, your mental health, also improve. We're, you know, humans are social animals, whether we like to admit it or not. And that doesn't (laughs) change as you get older. And I want to reemphasize, I think, that concept of chosen family, that it's never too late to identify who your family is, again, outside of, of blood and marriage, and finding those connections and investing the time into what it takes to keep those connections healthy and flourishing. And, and I'll, I'll make a point too, Chris, and I, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say when we get to that point. But I, I can only that just for, I think the ordinary everyday person, you know, we have introverts and extroverts. A lot of times with the introverts, it's really tough to make friends, right? Is what if I start talking about, you know, you know, sports and they're into the other thing. And what if I talk about books and they're into, you know, the the movies, right? And so finding things in common is for some people really excruciating, really difficult of a process to kind of get through. I can only imagine the layering of that, especially with today's seniors, as you just talked about. 
is you have maybe that generation right now still has some of these echoes of discriminatory thoughts and vantage points. So for some to become vulnerable and say, hey, I'm looking to invest in friendships and invest in, you could see where that is a more difficult undertaking to go through even more so than just a typical uh, senior, right? I guess where I would stand, I think that would be even more difficult. So again, I know we're going to talk about maybe meetups and other ways to kind of connect to groups that you have commonalities, but I I think that just from a vantage point or from a observation, I imagine that's uh, even more difficult. Yeah, and 100%. And what I would add to that is that we also have to recognize that, uh, as you said, there's still stigma within these communities. Communities that when you think about LGBT and Q, and then all the other letters that accompany that, they all have their own unique experiences. They all have their own unique sense of what life is like for them. And so I think about our seniors, and I think about our seniors who identify as lesbian, and the intersectionality around their sexual orientation and their gender, and what being a woman in the 40s and 50s just by itself, yeah. even the 60s and into the 70s, what has been, was like for them. And then you add the layer of sexual orientation. And so much more is known now about gender than, than five years, 10 years, certainly the last 30 and 40 years. And mm-hmm. so I talk with older gay, lesbian, bi individuals who are just struggling to get their head around this concept of gender and don't necessarily want to lump the transgender experience in with the gay, lesbian, bi experience. So within these communities, there's some, there's also some, some tension that also needs to be navigated. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Chris, can you just talk about, you know, some common emotional behavioral in health challenges that are faced specifically by the LGBTQ plus senior community? Yeah, it's a great question because again, as we've been talking about so much of this has a basis in trauma and has a basis in what living a lifetime of discrimination, oppression, and stigma has built. And we call that minority stress, right? Mm-hmm. That ex- that all of that, that cluster of emotion and how that plays out for marginalized communities. Vulnerability is a big piece of this too. And and for everyone, as your health decreases, we know that your sense of vulnerability increases. And that's no different for this group. Isolation, we've talked about depression, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about. um, But there are other elements of this too, where it becomes a little bit of of trying to peel the onion of what is gender or sexual orientation related, what is just living in these times that we're living in. And we know that there are a significant number of LGBTQ plus adults living in poverty who are homeless, who yeah. are, or are under sheltered, mm-hmm. who are under underinsured. And so as I have been talking to my colleagues who identify as a member of this community, of the senior community, I, I, I was struck over and over again hearing shades of this concept of financial planning and identifying your your financial resources is a form of self-care is a form of self-esteem believing that you are worth investing money into now for 40 years from now is a huge part of self-image 
And when you have a community that has been trained to not see themselves as equal or worthy, it's no wonder to me that we have this crisis in a lot of ways of not being financially prepared yeah. in, in later in later life and mm. discrimination in the workplace and discrimination in housing. There yeah. are still parts of this country in 2021 that it is legal to fire somebody because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. And so mm. we we live in a bit of a bubble, I think, sometimes here in Maine because we have been such a progressive state in so many ways. And I'm so proud of that. But there are LGBTQ plus seniors today who are fearful of losing their job if they are out in the workplace. Yeah, it, and I, I want to make a make a point to that too, Chris, because um, it, it feels like if you know, just thinking about just Maslow's hierarchy of needs here, right? If you're always in survival mode, it's tough to move up the scale to achieve kind of this sense of purpose and happiness and achievement, right? right? So your point about financial planning is part of this is, you know, what we're trying to go is go, well, hey, I just don't want to solve for what's surviving, right? I don't Mm -hmm. want to solve for eating tuna fish for 35 years. I really want to solve for who you are, what you want to be, what, what, what gives you purpose in your life and matching the money to that. And if you've never really been in that position, or if you've always been in the moment surviving, it's probably tough to get to that point of, I, I can never kind of get to this actualization and this achievement because I've always been worried about being fired for who I am. Yeah. I'm always worried about this friend group. If I tell somebody that, you know, of who I am and how I identify myself, that I'm going to be treated poorly or you know, all yeah. of that. I, I can imagine that that's a really difficult thing. Well, and there's uh, the element, what you're talking about is, is for me, the impact that trauma has on our development and the impact that fear has on our development and what we know conversely about kids who are living in abusive homes, we see regressive behaviors. We see their inability to progress through developmental milestones. Sometimes failure to thrive is a term that's applied to that. We don't call it failure to thrive when they get, when individuals get to be in their forties, fifties, and sixties, but really that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And trauma sticks us to a fight or flight or freeze mentality where the idea that I'm going to put 20 bucks a week away now to actualize the benefits of that 40 years from now is such a foreign concept. And Chris, I'll also uh, give you another point here too, from our, from our experience. So we have several relationships and several clients that um, again, on the spectrum of aging within the LGBTQ plus community and what we're trying to our process. And again, it really goes to goal setting, right? Is what do you, what makes you more of who you are? What do you want to do? What's, what are priorities? What are lesser priorities matching funds to those things? That's a process, which is you have to be very open. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be able to speak truth or things that you may, maybe not even spoken to your partner or other people. It's a very vulnerable state to be engaging with us at certain times. So we've actually in the, our, again, our client experience, it feels like the aging population that we engage with that maybe has never engaged with anybody like this before 
really difficult. It's a, uh, it's pretty closed off. No, no. I just want you to manage my money. I just yeah. want you to do this section. Let's not talk about me. You do this. I will pay you money for that service and we're call it a day. The ones again, the, the younger uh, part of the population that we're working with. Oh man, this, they eat it right up. This yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, I can see myself investing towards this thing and where I want to be. And it's, they're, they're more likely to get energized by the goal setting and the planning, but it's again, and I'm not trying to stereotype this, uh, our limited experience here working, um, in these arrangements, but, but the point being is I could, I could see where there's more hesitation in the aging population yeah. here to undergo more vulnerability because I would see where they've not been rewarded at all for showing that to, yeah. to lots of different people. Yeah. And it's threat, it's fear. And my yeah. assumption I will speculate that your clients who are more reserved, more hesitant, have story after story after story of times they have given power to another person and have that backfire on them. And in this world, especially with seniors who are navigating healthcare, doctors have a lot of power, who are navigating their finances, banks have a lot of power, who are navigating their housing needs. There's so much on the line here. And that's a big piece of, uh, of again, and I'm so uh, complimentary of you uh, to be doing this topic and, and exposing these conversations because just finding allies, LGBTQ plus allies in the banking world, in the retirement planning world and financial management is so hard. And what defines an ally, right? How do you know when you're sitting in that individual's office and you're disclosing very personal private details, whether it's about your finances or about your health history, what their reaction is going to be and how much power you all have with us with one pen to make decisions that are life-changing. Well, and, and, and to point about giving that power away and then then maybe not receiving it back and someone being dismissive over, well, you can't do this and you can't do that versus I think our job is to say, hey, let's let's really uncover what those goals are. What what do you what would really be success for you? Drive it and align the money to it. Yeah. It's like we're our job is to show you the path to yes. Yeah. Right? If we can get to yes all the time and show you how to do it, well maybe there's trade-offs to get to yes, but how do we show you the pathway to it? But if we don't never know where we're driving towards, you know, again, uh, we're in a car where we got the gas pedal down. We could be going 20 miles an hour. Well, that's a different journey if we're going to, you know, Portsmouth, New Hampshire versus uh, Los Angeles, California, right? That yeah. Those are two different things. It, it, so my, my point of this is it's really, I, I think it's really important uh, for us, I think, to do our jobs well, to have those relationships, which is why the more we can be available, I guess is yeah. a word I want to say, the more I want to be available, the more that we can relate. I trust and to be an ally in these situations, I think is really important. And I I think the other, I want to maybe transition to the next question of that is all of us need resources to be successful in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. All of us need to turn to somebody and organizations, people. So my question to you is Chris in Maine, what organizations can LGBTQ plus seniors turn to to assist with their needs as they age, whether it be advocacy, healthcare, social community? Where can they go? 
Yeah. So we, again, are so fortunate that we live in a state that is that has been so progressive and been so attentive to the needs of LGBTQ plus individuals. Equality Maine is an organization that comes to mind. They're Portland-based with a statewide coverage, and they have literally investments in every population, every age group who um, identifies on this on this continuum, advocacy and services and resources, groups, um, educational offerings. And under that Equality Maine umbrella is a little organization called SAGE, S-A-G-E, Maine. And they are part of, uh, Maine is a chapter of the National SAGE group. And that is a group specific to seniors, LGBTQ plus identified seniors. And they offer offer meetups, they offer uh, virtual groups, they offer education and training. I was just with them recently for a, for a weekend symposium on aging in Maine that was well done and, and just learned so much. But those, uh, in partnership, those two groups really have the finger on the pulse of all of, whether it's a resource, whether it's an ally in the, in the financial or healthcare world, whether it's just a supportive ear or a supportive shoulder, they've got, they've got you covered. Um, there's another organization in Maine, uh, Maine Transnet, which is a group specific to transgender, non-binary, gender diverse individuals. And they have some regional social gatherings as well. They do some training. They do a lot of advocacy. And then the ACLU here in Maine is also an organization that is very invested in the in the legal advocacy of LGBTQ plus individuals of all mm -hmm. ages. So mm -hmm. I think those four would be my go-to resources here in the state of Maine. Hmm. I like it. I want to rotate a little bit, Chris. Can you just talk about some areas of opportunity that LGBTQ plus uh, agers could improve on? Yeah, so I polled some colleagues and some friends who again identify <laughs> in this in this group and got um, not surprisingly the same answers over and over again. Okay, which tells they you that say, you got a theme. Going on. I got a <laughs> yeah. theme. They all yeah. say the same thing, and it probably is not going to be uh, earth-shattering news to you all. Save more now. <laughs> um, make more investments. Get that long-term care insurance. Get those insurance, those insurance policies that will support you if you need to bring in in-home supports later in life or live in a in assisted living. Get educated, mm -hmm. understand what the concept of retirement planning is and understand concepts of social security and Medicare, what they are, and just as importantly, what they're not. And building upon, I think, that idea that we've we've talked about of self-esteem and self-image and, and all of the folks I talk to say, I wish I did this sooner. Mm -hmm. I wish I saw myself worthy of this investment sooner. And while that's easier said than done, none of this is, is switching a light switch. Self-esteem isn't an on or off kind of light switch, right. but the education and the social, co the community, the sense of belonging is such a huge element to that self-esteem, that self-worth piece mm. that it really becomes giving yourself permission to lean in, get outside your comfort zone. It goes back to that introvert extrovert style piece yeah. that I may have to be uncomfortable if I'm going to secure the chosen family, the community that I require 
to be healthy and successful later in life. And and I think that's um, that's kind of a, a key thing here. And you know, because I, I know we've talked about you know a lot of the the topics here. And I think one of the biggest issues is choosing in retirement is where we want to live. Mm-hmm. And I know you just talked about community, right? So it's essentially, it's you know, it's it's finding your community and where that community is. It might be a virtual one, but it might be a geographic one here, right? And, and I know what you said, Chris, about well, hey, you know, we have in terms of our kind of ranking for the state of Maine, we might be pretty high up there uh, in regards to population of of this community. But, you know, we all have different interests. We all have different things that we like to do. And we, and that might feed into where we want to be as well. Because again, if everybody here is outdoorsy and likes to be doing the hikes and the, the, the skiing and I'm, but I'm the, you know, the introverted computer person uh, stereotype. So say if that's me, well, maybe that I'm not near my tribe. I'm not near mm. my people. I'm not near the people that really turns me uh, more into who I am. So I could kind of see where we need to think through in retirement, that community part, we need to think through support services, healthcare, cost of living, proximity to family, friends, all of that. So but I also want to go in the where part a little bit, maybe a little bit further, because it's maybe a little more difficult for LGBTQ plus agers anyway, because there's different laws impacting rights from state to state, as you suggested. Mm-hmm. So the question, I guess, my ha- uh, or the question I have here is how do state statutes on rights and the stability of those rights, by the way, impact the decision making on where to live? That's my first yeah. question. It's a huge question, right? As I already referenced there, you know, state by state, there are absolutely differences. And you don't have to travel far outside of Maine before you hit the next state who you could be fired or you could lose your housing because of your sexual orientation, gender identity. So I I referenced the Sage Maine resource just a little bit ago. Yep. Nationally, they're an amazing resource that can give you state-by-state breakdowns of where are the LGBTQ plus friendly states and what states are friendly for elders because of all the pieces that you just mentioned. And there's some really exciting, cool literature coming up about coming out about the concept of co-housing. Mm. Um, where groups of people gather together and share space and maybe they have communal kitchens or communal dining areas um, and they have their own kind of residence, but they may pour into that shared communal space. And um, there are there are communities popping up around the country for co-housing specifically for LGBTQ plus agers. Now, financially, that may not be a decision that is available to everyone, especially given some of the statistics around poverty and and the lack of financial planning that we've already talked about. Um, But they exist. And maybe, you know, I like to think about maybe there's a a co-housing light uh, approach to this too, where you may not have brand new buildings and a state-of-the-art shared kitchen dining space, but maybe you have a couple yurts or yeah, a couple yeah. of mobile homes that kind of are poured out into the same kind of uh, kind of approach. So there's some creativity around this. In terms of the legal part, you know, we same-sex marriage became law of the land in 2015. I will say Maine three years before that. 
Um, and, and domestic partnership is still a legal status available for folks in different parts of the country, including here in Maine too. Mm-hmm. And so even for individuals who elect to not get married and, and, and have the traditional ben- legal benefits and rights of, of married partners, domestic partnership is available to them as well if they're in a relationship that meets that, that threshold. But the decision of where to live and who to live with is, I think, deeply personal, uh, Mm. regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. And so, again, it goes back to, I think, about the comment you made, Ben, about what's the goal? Mm -hmm. And then how do we get there? So being able to at least articulate the goal, I think, is the first step on that journey. And then where can that goal be best actualized is really the decision points from there. Chris, I'll, I'll plug, uh, we had an episode with our colleague, Larry Pelletier and his wife, Joyce. Is, so as they're approaching retirement, they talked about, they had a whole process about finding their ideal spot. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we see from the financial end, we can, of course, examine everything through a chart. But, you know, we have state by state what the long-term care costs is. What's the, what's the best maybe for a taxation perspective that might stretch yeah. your money longer? Um, we talked about living internationally with Dan Pressure in a different episode. So where is an interesting part? But what you brought up, I thought was a really cool point is, you know, Sage nationally having this kind of state by state. So I, I, I could see where basically there's all this, hey, I like sun. I like proximity to this. I like uh, community access here. I want these sorts of structures. Health care is this. All of those things. But then you can go and also layer on, well, here's what I can see from uh, from a rights perspective yeah. where I, I just want to make sure that those are considered. So what you said is all those are kind of points to can figure out and make the best match for you, but having something you can layer on specifically for my vantage point for my community and make that another informed point of that decision-making process, I think is really cool. So I, I think that thanks for, thanks for doing that. Yeah. Especially if you have to pick up a small part-time job on the side to support your retirement lifestyle and, and making sure you're in a location that you can continue to be who you are safely. Chris, I think uh, an extension of this discussion, you know, about rights within certain states is the the idea of having a solid estate plan, um, you know, legal powers for spouses and loved ones. You know, I think it's a fair statement that confusing it might be an understatement for the legal world um, when it comes to these things. So I guess what I want to ask is, you know, what can those of us who want to support our friends, neighbors, family members who may be LGBTQ plus seniors, like what are some tangible things we can do to help with this, I guess, aging process? Yeah. It's a, such a great question. It's really about allyship. It's about offering yourself to be a, a a support to somebody else. I think helping seniors identify and get their wishes known. Again, you, you, know, you all know the statistics of, of how many seniors are without wills or without this kind of clear documentation. So, uh, you know, helping with the resources state by state on what mm. sort of forms are essential. And so much of this is done by a template now and then mm. a run to a notary to get it signed. And so I think some assistance along just navigating, recognizing that technology is also a skill set that isn't necessarily owned by all, especially in older generations. Mm. And so just navigating the internet can be, can sometimes be overwhelming. So sure. offering your help, offering your assistance and and worst case scenario pen and paper 
Yeah. Help get their wishes known. Help mm-hmm. just initiate the conversation. Stay connected. Check in often. Offer those resources. Hear the stories. So much of, you know, and part of what I love about the fact you're doing this podcast theme, it's about empathy. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding the perspective of others mm-hmm. and identifying with some of the feelings and thoughts of things that most people have never needed to think about yeah. before. Mm-hmm. And so just to be able to connect on that real human level. And, you know, when in doubt, grab the rake, grab the shovel, help out around the house, drop off groceries when needed. And it's really just about citizenship and, and caring for LGBTQ plus seniors in the same way we would any senior in our neighborhoods mm-hmm. and in our communities, mm-hmm. just checking in and making sure that that all is well and that needs are being met. Yeah, and I like what you just said there too about because I think it is really leaning into empathy here is to even go to to I think the first part which I think you've done really well today Chris is is leaning into understanding is let's let's just listen and let's just kind of understand what's happening here and where it is and where we are um, and try to do it without judgment and to say this is the situation today and how can I do something today to help make it better yeah. and and I I think that's if we all kind of take that mantra that theme I think uh, things start working maybe better for everybody. I want to make another point too here on the estate plans and legal powers. We talked a little bit about being a solo ager, especially with this community is more of a common theme. And with our clients, we've seen enough where people over time, they don't have a power of attorney, Mm -hmm. you know, is saying, Hey, somebody I'm incapacitated who, what are the levels of people that I can ask to step in for me if I'm becoming incapacitated in, in someone that really can advocate for me specifically. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's where keeping your, your community, your list is up to date all the time is really important, but especially from a legal sense, because legal rights are changing a lot and making sure that you are always having the best advocates with the full powers to do the best advocacy for you, especially yeah. not only for us from a state planning perspective when I pass, but as I'm aging and I become incapacitated and need someone to really help take care of me, yeah. I could see where that was really important here and, and making sure those docu- that documentation is, first of all, taking full advantage of your legal rights in any state that you're in, but also that you have the, the right people listed so they can uh, seamlessly step in for you without you not getting the, because we just talked about in the intro, discrimination in healthcare, discrimination in lots of different uh, uh, world systems here. So having somebody to step in legally and not only just um, help you, but really fight for you. And yeah. I think I think that's where you need a, a, a tireless advocate that can have those rights and go through. Because again, we see it from a day-to-day basis regardless, but I can really see it here. Yeah, especially where we've already established, you know, if for L- for seniors, for LGBTQ plus seniors who um, never married or, or never had children, those traditional hierarchies of inheritance are non-existent. And so again, there's another, there's a different layer of intentionality around making those wishes known and naming those folks. So you're not handing over power again to complete strangers to make those decisions on your behalf, Mm -hmm. even the most well-intentioned strangers. 
And, and again, yeah, and uh, I know we can go lots of different ways there, but the court system, for example, right, is, yeah. you know, is to go, well, in absence of these things legally done, then maybe I'm giving all my power away to perhaps the court system, either in life or in death. And I think that's some of the concern overall here is that, you know, we... Uh, again, I know power has been kind of a, a, a little subcurrent of things that we've been talking about and having control over that power, I think is really important. So I want to, I want to, I want to lean into that just real quick uh, from, from that and Chris. So thanks. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's a pivotal point, power and control, right? We've, it, it, it's been a theme for the last hour that we've been together. There was a recent wickedly horrifying yet entertaining Netflix movie about this very topic over the last several months of of just how the legal system and the healthcare system can really be leveraged against seniors Mm -hmm. um, to the benefit of a very small few. And I think for this population of, of folks who have, like all your clients, really scraped together their life savings to make something worthwhile for later parts of their life, you want to trust you want to believe that your best interests are in the forefronts of others. But we know that's not always the case. And to your point, there's story after story after story of this happening daily. Mm-hmm. And so defining that community and putting names to paper and going mm-hmm. through the process of having some of these tough internal and external conversations yeah. about what end of life issues are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So Chris, I want to rotate one last time here. We're at the final question of our episode. This is normally the spot where I ask a retirement question, but because you are a second time guest, so people want to hear that answer, they need to go back to episode 19. Um, But I'm going to ask a new question for you here. If you could have anything named after you, what would it be and why? So I have agonized over this question. For anybody that knows me, anybody listening that knows anything about me, my answer, my first answer is going to be a no brainer. I would love to have a martini or like a new grape varietal name after me. I want to, I want to have like the McLaughlin grape that is the next best wine coming out of uh, the Bangor, Maine region. That's awesome. Um, But my other answer that I was tied for is a breed of dog. I would Hmm. think I would love to have a breed of dog named after me. I like Uh, so. I got. I got to ask the follow up question of that. Then what would be the what would be the personality of of said dog? Yeah, yeah. It would be a mix between. And I'm sure these exist, right? It would (laughs) be a mix between Staffordshire Terrier, which is one of our dogs here at the house, um, and a Golden Retriever. Okay, lovable, loyal, and alert. That's awesome. I love that. Love it. Yeah. Well, well, Chris, we I can't thank you enough uh, uh, on behalf of our show. We can't thank you enough for for coming on uh, today and talking about uh, really this theme of LGBTQ plus aging. And again, we, we do a Google, Google search and we're not seeing a ton of things, especially from a financial planning perspective. Yeah. So to be able to go out here again, be brave and say, hey, this is somewhere where you know we're not uh, the world renowned expert in any lens uh, on this, but let's have a conversation. Let's be vulnerable. Let's really put it out there and start. Let's start somewhere. And, and I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show part two for us and working with us today. Cause uh, we got a lot out of it and I'm sure the listeners did too. So thank oh, you. I again. hope so. It's been my pleasure. And I always appreciate the 
the invite to be with you. And, and uh, I hope that your listeners are able to find some nuggets that they can maybe apply to their own lives and their own community. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Be well. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It's right. so really great to have Chris McLaughlin on the on the show today. You know, for for one thing that our team's been talking about is, hey, we're we're working with with members of the LGBTQ plus community, and you know, I, again, we we pride ourselves in just caring a lot about our clients, right? And yeah. as much as we can be informed um, advocates for our clients, and really not only just financial matters, but in aging matters, yeah. I, I think it's uh, that's our that's our job our duties. So that that's where you know we we obviously would talk to Chris McLaughlin on episode I believe 19. 19. Uh, yep. yep, about uh, about grandkids, but this was something that we were t- talking about on the side was well there's lots of other populations we think that you know we could be touching on and and I think Chris did a really awesome job today of of covering a lot of points. And we know obviously this is a very broad overview that we were discussing, right? Is sure. This is something where, you know, um, we could have gone probably even on the defining terms in LGBTQ and plus and really getting into that. We could have spent probably three hours on that, yeah. but we really wanted to get into the aging, kind of get into all these things here. So again, I, I think Chris did a phenomenal job and it was really a delight to have him on the show today. Mm. Of course, we end our shows. We like to just recap ourselves and things that we, we learned from uh, from our guests. And I'd like to just maybe go through that today and just take that yellow highlighter and, and really highlight some things for you today. So Curtis, maybe kick off uh, something that you took away from today's show. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think it's something, a, a big overview of something that comes up in a lot of our episodes, um, this idea of building a community around you and, you know, really having that that social group. And, you know, we talked about it with uh, Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber, you know, in solo aging, and it really kind of goes hand in hand here with what we talked about today and how important it is to have those people around you. And, you know, Chris talked about, you know, as you age, who's going to come over and help you do the, you know, the small home improvement projects. And just, it's really important to, to kind of combat that, that social isolation and that can send you down a road of, you know, not great things. So I think Chris did a really great job talking about just how important it was to to continue to invest and build in that community around you. Yeah, and and I'll I'll echo that too. And again, I what was really great is again what we talked about with Chris is there's threads that we've picked up from other episodes that yeah. you know we apply in different ways. And I, I will just say for myself, I learned a lot today from from Chris's talk with us. Same. So I, yeah. it was really tough to really yeah. pick one thing that we could have uh, kind of taken because I think the whole thing was was really good. I think one of the things as planners and things we do when we talk with our clients, we talk about where a lot and mm-hmm. in we talked about where with Joyce and uh, Larry Pelletier and, and that's something where, you know, where in going through these, well, you know, what is it you want to do? Where is the, where's the community that you just highlighted, Curtis, you know, what's the systems, what are the costs of living going to be all those things. It's this kind of hodgepodge of, uh, of things you got to throw in, but then you throw on top for LGBTQ plus, Hey, from state to state, my rights going to vary and they may differ here. Mm -hmm. And especially when it might come to estate planning, might come to healthcare access. It might come to lots of different things. 
And so again, I think where where Chris really highlighted, uh, you know, Sage, for example, and the other resources, that's just really great to layer that on top. So say, hey, I'm making the the most informed decision I can when I make this decision to maybe move um, in an uncomfortable place and get out of my comfort zone to somewhere that I maybe think is going to be the place. But also, again, and I know Dan Pressure kind of talked about this with Living Internationally is there's also resources for living abroad and and yeah. thinking about uh, you know obviously is in the LGBTQ plus community you know thinking about acceptance thinking about finding the people that you you're going to feel supported you're going to feel accepted and that I think that's a big component about where mm-hmm. and and having that conversation really fleshing that out I think is a really important point so again I I know we we touched on that a little bit but I, I know Chris kind of did a really good job on on talking about that there today yeah so well. I really appreciate everyone tuning into our episode today. Um, if you want more resources, again, we'll have the links that Chris referenced in terms of Sage and other others there. You can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 42 for episode 42. Right. And you can find our show notes. Our, if you want to read, uh, read back some of the transcript, that will be there as well and all that. Also, I'll, I'll just kind of say, hey, uh, if you, you know, our, our show is growing and I want to thank you all for listening. And um, we appreciate you even just mentioning our show to maybe a family member or a friend that you think might uh, might get something out of this. That just means a lot to us. And, and mm-hmm. the fact that we're helping people um, makes all this, uh, this effort worthwhile. So if you, if you feel like any of these shows have helped somebody, uh, we appreciate you just kind of sharing any one of these with, with somebody that you might... Uh, think might get something out of it we we'd really appreciate that so for now we will sign off but thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time ladies and gentlemen you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in maine podcast while this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness guidance point advisors mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.